0: Would you bless it in Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody that agree with that said? Amen. 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 Uh, so yeah, so we've been in our sermon, uh, sermon reading collection. You know, it's summertime. And during summertime is a lot of time. Maybe if you're like uh, my wife, she loves a good shore book. Like we're going down the shore, we're going on vacation. She's got like three or four books stacked in the car. And I'm like, but we're only going to be there for an hour. How are you going to read three <laughs> books in one hour on the beach? Um, but you know, people do that. Like they open up their favorite book. They bring it down there with them. Maybe it's their favorite rom-com. Uh, you know, maybe it's a murder mystery. Everybody's into the murder mystery thing now. Uh, could be something about spiritual development. Uh, maybe it's a self-help book, right? You know, Atomic Habits, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Daring Greatly, Five, Long- Five Love Languages. Those are all great ones. If you've not read them, uh, you should. They're great. Um, but there's tons of them out there, right? There's tons of these self-help books. Uh, most likely you've read one or two of them. Um, and we, we read these. Oftentimes, because there is something in our lives that we would like to change. It's not always bad. We talked about change last week. It's not always bad. Maybe we just want to grow and pursue better habits uh, in our lives. On the other hand, though, sometimes we are searching for meaningness and happiness, right? So we reach out to these books and we read through them and we try to see what it is they they may have to affect change in our lives. But whatever the reason what we find is that something about the way things are is making us unhappy. And we're reaching out for advice on how to change that, that thing, that thing that it is. How can I be happy is the question that we're oftentimes asking. And it's a question that all of us have asked at some point in our lives, right? And if I'm if I'm betting, uh, I bet it's a question that you're going to go ahead and ask again at some point as you go forward. Whatever is happening, you say, "Man, I don't know what's going on. I'm unhappy. What is it I can do to be happy again?" And let me ask you: Like, are you happy right now? Maybe you're not, uh, or are you chasing happiness? Maybe it seems like happiness is really close, but it's just kind of hanging there, right out in front of you, kind of just out of reach like that proverbial carrot that's on the string. It's just kind of right out beyond your grasp. Maybe it's a formula that you've just not managed to quite figure out. Uh, And I know we're at church and you may think, well, the answer to everything here at church is Jesus, right? (laughs) Right. That's the standard answer. Um, And in a lot of ways, yes, yes it is. Um, But as we look at today's passage, what we find is that Jesus' answer to the question of what makes us happy or how do we find happiness or on chasing happiness, what does that look like, it's not quite as simple as we would like. Uh, So we're in the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 5. We'll be in verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bibles there, it may say the Beatitudes at the top of that. Uh, it'll be on the screen. I'll read it for you. Uh, it says, Matthew Matthew 5, uh, starting at verse 3, it says, Blessed are those poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in these verses, Jesus gives us, he gives us eight ways to be happy, if you will. Jesus is kind of giving here to his disciples. He's giving his own self-help TED Talk, his own self-help cliff notes to those that are gathered with him there on the mount. And, I'll, and I want to be clear before we get going, um, I want to be clear on something that the, the Beatitudes, are not a list of things that we must do in order to get saved. That, that would be work-based salvation. That's not true. And, and the Beatitudes, they're also not a list of things we must do to earn God's favor. That would be moralism. And, and instead, the Beatitudes, they're, they're evidences. They are reorientation. They are the marks of what being a Christian looks like. When the good news of Jesus has radically transformed your life, these attitudes will be true for you. And as we look over them, we realize that the Beatitudes, that they are a striking contrast between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven, right? They're a contrast. There's pride versus humility, revelry versus mourning, oppressive use of power versus meekness, hunger for personal gratification versus hunger for righteousness, vindictive versus merciful, hidden agendas versus purity of hearts, divisive versus peacemakers, and acceptance versus persecution, and can I, can we talk a little bit like a quick word lesson before we get going? Is that okay? Yeah. That's okay this morning. Okay, so the word blessed or or blessed, maybe you've heard it say blessed, uh, the Greek word it really it translates literally to happy. Like so I go to Honey Grow a lot, it's up the street. It's right up there on the corner. You should, if you've not been, you should go. It's delicious. Uh, I go there and I get, this, I get this really good stir fry bowl. It's called the spicy garlic bowl. Is, is anybody, anybody? Yes, the spicy garlic with the extra sauce. Uh, but here's the thing with the spicy garlic is that it comes with broccoli. It comes with broccoli. And I, and, and I don't really like broccoli, but it comes with it. So I bury it like, as soon as I get it, I pour extra sauce on there and I bury it like deep down in the noodles. So I kind of forget that the broccoli is even there. Happiness, happy, is when you actually like that broccoli that you're eating, like you're not just choking it down because you know that it's good, but you're actually enjoying it. Not only is it good for me, but I'm enjoying the thing that it is. That's what being happy looks like. And The Jews at the time, they used this word um, happy to describe a person in the state of salvation, someone with the blessing and favor of God on their lives. So these eight attitudes, these eight beatitudes, if you will, they're descriptions of a saved person's life, right? A life blessed by God, a life filled by God, a a happy life. So if we wanted to read back through them again, you could read them and you could say, happy are those. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the humble. Happy are those who hunger. Happy are the merciful. And if we read, if we're honest, it doesn't really sound very happy, does it? Does it? Like, if you had to write down your top 10 list of things that will make you happy, I don't know if any of these really make the list. Like, you know on Pray First on Wednesday mornings, 6.30? We're on Pray First 6.30 Wednesday mornings every week. It's on Zoom. You can find the link on acceleratechurch.tv forward slash Pray First. Well, when we're on there in the morning, I can promise you that when I look in the chat box at the end of the of the prayer, where we're taking personal prayer requests, people are, you know, they're not like... You know, guys, could you pray for me that God would give me some more mourning opportunities? Like, I want to be happy. Like, God, I would like some more of that mourning, please. Persecution, like, man, everybody at my job is just so nice to me. God, would you send me a coworker who just really dislikes me? Who insults me and says these false things about me because I'm a Christian? The thing is, is that Jesus is focused, he's focused on life transformation, not just our temporary happiness. He's come to deal with people's eternal joy. So look look what it says in verse three. It says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can I, can I give you some context this morning? We're gonna spend a little bit more time here on this first one, uh, verse three, because if you get this one right, it's kind of the key to the rest of them. Uh, there's, there's two types of poor people, uh, poor in spirit. So there's two types of, of, of poor that those that were listening to Jesus at the time would have understood. Uh, the first is those who struggle financially, right? Those who had barely enough money to eat, like, like poor, poor. Not, ah man, you know, I can't afford that new, you know, 2023 model car. So I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get the 2020. Like not that, not that kind. Now we're talking about people who wondering where their next meal is coming from. Like in a, real, in a real way, when they pray God for their daily bread, it was a literal prayer for them. So that's one type of poor. The second type is this understanding of those who were on the fringes of society, those who were outcasts, socially despised. So these are the kinds of poor people that Jesus is talking about. Poor in spirit means, write this down, write this down. Poor in spirit means that you embrace daily dependence on God for all that you need poverty of spirit, poor in spirit means that you understand that you don't have sufficient resources in and of yourself to face life's challenges. And once you understand this, once you get this, kind of all the rest of these attitudes start to fall into place as you go. It's it's this heart change. You could say like, as Jesus is teaching later, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your longing, your desires, your hope. It's rooted in Jesus, not your own accomplishments. You understand that, hey, man, I can't do this myself. I keep trying to be happy, but the things that I do, they don't seem to last. I tried chasing girls. I spent the extra hours at my job trying to impress my boss and get that promotion. I bought the newest iPhone or the off-brand device, and I bought those all those new gadgets, but it seems like they always fail, and I've got to buy another one. I've got the fashion. I've got the house. I've got the car, but something just always seems to be missing. It's this itch that we just can't seem to scratch for any period of time. And it really has less to do with being monetarily rich or poor, but really whether we embrace our daily dependence on God for all that we need. And if you read on through the New Testament, you see that Jesus really works most of these out in his own parables later on. Uh, every one of these Beatitudes pretty much has its own parable later uh, in the scriptures where we can see Jesus furthering onto the teaching. There is core teachings. You, pro- you probably have heard some of them, one of them in Luke 18, there's this parable of these two men who go into the temple. It says there are these two men who go up to pray. One of them's a Pharisee. The other was a, is a tax collector. The Pharisees were the ones at the time who would have been seen as religiously uh, 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 superior to the others. And the tax collectors were essentially traitors, like nobody liked the tax collectors. So the Pharisee's there in the temple and he's standing and he's praying and he says, he says God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Uh, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even, he says, even like this tax collector over here. The Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give a 10th of everything that I get. Uh, but the tax collector, he's standing far off to the side uh, and he wouldn't even raise his, his eyes to the heaven. He's got his heads down and he's, and he's striking his chest, Jesus says, and he says, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. And Jesus said the tax collector went home justified, not the righteous man. Because the, might, the righteous man walked in with his own riches and his own righteousness in his own eyes, which was really no righteousness at all. And then he walks out with the same things in his hand. The tax collector walks in poor in spirit, but leaves with the righteousness of God credited to his account. Because you see, God only fills Empty hands. If you're convinced of your own righteousness, if your hands are full of all the good works that, that you keep attributing to yourself, you've got no room left to receive anything else. You've got no room, no, no areas to receive the righteousness of God. But if you're poor in spirits, If you understand the state of who it is that you are on your own, if you realize that, man, my hands are actually empty, like Paul says, that that all of our good works are just like filthy rags in comparison, then what you have is open hands. You have empty hands, and open hands can receive a gift. With empty hands, you can receive the gift of, of God's righteousness, the Father's gift of salvation. It's when we depend on God and not on ourselves for provision, for wisdom, for power, and for guidance that we can access God's power because he only fills empty hands. God makes us poor in ourselves and mighty in reliance on him. Mighty in reliance on him. So, thre- so Threads, Threads just launched this month. I don't know if you guys are on Threads yet. Any thread, what are, I know like if you're on Twitter, you're like a Twitterer. Is that, is that a verb? Are you a, threat, a seamstress, I guess, if you're on Thread, or a, seams, a seamstress, yeah. So if you've not heard of it, um, basically Thread, it's like Facebook's shot across the bow of Twitter. They're like, man, Twitter, we are coming for you, guns blazing. It's a copycat app. It's designed to connect people um, in, in all these other ways. But really the truth is, if we can be honest, is that social media has become a lot less about connecting and more about comparison. Is that, is that fair? We can agree on that. It's not really about connecting anymore. Like we're dead in the middle of the most me-focused generation in the history of the world. You can see that on our habits, on social media, our obsessions with selfies. Like there's over 1 million selfies that are posted on the internet in our country, just in our country, every single day. Cameras, we used to use cameras for taking pictures of other things. Do you remember that? We used to take pictures of other things, of scenery, of our friends. But now we just fill the world with pictures of us. Um, we become the center of, of every story. And, and about 36% of those selfies that we take, we end up enhancing them anyways, right? So they're not even really us. Um, was, that too, was, that too, was that coming for you too much? Or was that just like, oh man, I do have that little pimple. Like, let me just cover that up. That's not real. It's not real. Let me, cre- let me create a different reality. Uh, and social media outlets like Twitter and Threads, they're, they're built on giving us a platform to post all the awesome things about our life so that other people will admire you and be jealous of you. Like, that's really what's going on. That's not their mission statement, but that's what's happening. Like, we're not even really showing our own desperation, but really just our surplus. Uh, like, even when we pretend to be humble about it. You guys remember the hat? You remember that humble brags hashtag? Like, a oh, humble brags. I got a new car, humble brags. Um, really, like, maybe the word, <laughs> do you remember? It was a thing. Maybe the word, maybe I'm just dating myself. It might've been too long. What was that, like five years ago? Um, they say, I'm sure they say something like that, Now I'll have to ask the, the youths after service what it is that they say, so I'll be better second service on the current hashtags for humble bragging. Um, but maybe, honestly, the worst effect of being rich in ourselves instead of being poor in spirit is that you become prideful and ungrateful. Because you're always focused on what you think you are entitled to and how others aren't giving it to you. You always feel like you deserve more Like you're being wronged. Like something you deserve hasn't been given to you. The essence of pride is is competition. It's competition. C.S. Lewis said like this, he said, it doesn't matter, talking about pride, he said, it doesn't matter that I'm smart, only that I'm smarter than you. It doesn't matter that I'm good looking, only that I'm better looking than you. And for this reason, proud people, he says, can never get along. People with other problems, other vices, they can get along. People who have a drinking problem, they like, they like to drink together. That's why the bars are full. Immoral people, they like to brag about each other, they like to brag to each other about their exploits. But proud people always find themselves hating each other because their pride is always in conflict with someone else's pride. So he says, the quickest way to tell that maybe you have pride is that some other person's pride bothers you. But when you realize that every breath that you take and every step that you take is a gift of God and grace, it makes us grateful. You become happy and grateful. People are happy people. It's a change of heart. It's a reorientation of your focus. And that's the start. It starts in your heart before it goes anywhere else. So as we move on, I'm going to go a little bit faster on these ones. Verse four says, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't say why those are more, like why people are mourning here. He doesn't say why. Um, but really mourning goes along with being poor in spirit. When you feel powerless, when you feel weak, when you feel unrighteous, you mourn and God comforts you. But I also think that based on Jesus' future teaching that mourning also means a willingness to enter into the pain of others and mourn with them. Because in order to mourn, you really have to be relationally connected to others, right? Like I think of Jesus, as one of these other parables, the, the the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Like there are these two men that are passing by someone who has been robbed, who has been left for dead on the side of the road, but they 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 keep it moving. These other two guys, and then there's this third guy who comes and he passes and he doesn't follow suit. He stops and he helps, and he didn't have to. He didn't know this guy. Uh, there were probably lots of other excuses why the other people didn't, uh, and why he shouldn't have. Maybe maybe he had other stuff to do. Maybe it was dangerous. Maybe it was costly. And as we get older, what we find is it's easy, it's easy in our hearts to become more and more isolated to be, for our emotional capacity to not extend past our front doors. We don't want to connect with our neighbors. We don't want to open our lives to the needy. We don't want to, to be in a small group because it's painful. It's hurtful to have to share those things that are going on in our, our lives because we don't feel like we need other people. The average person thinks, man, just give me my home, my vacation, my hobbies, my kids. Maybe if I can get some grandkids one day. That's all I need for a happy life. Keep the rest of the world and all of his problems away. But Jesus is saying here, he says, you'll never be happy that way. As your heart closes in on itself and it gets darker and more self-focused, you'll never really be able to understand and, 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 and have the full blessing of God. Because we were designed to give ourselves away others, to face outward, not inward. So he says, blessed are those who open their hearts and their homes to to take in the pain of others. Blessed are the the foster parents who take kids in not because they have to, but because they are entering into the pain of that child and weeping and caring and, and nurturing them. Blessed are those who sit and cry with those that are in their crews instead of offering easy, simple answers. Blessed are those who choose to have that baby even though it messes up their own ambitions in life. How about this one? Can can we be spicy? Yeah? Okay. Blessed are those who identify with a community who is not your own, which means to my white brothers and sisters, it means listening to the pain of our black and our brown family and acknowledging their fears, their struggles, the unfairness that they and their community have been subjected to and continue to experience because blessed are those who mourn with others. Not only will you be happier in this life when you enter into the pain of others, but you'll also be eternally richer for leveraging your time, your talent, and your treasures on behalf of others. Blessed are those who, who mourn. Verse five says, blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness means taking second place instead of first place whenever we can. It means leveraging your power to serve others and not just exalt yourself. I think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He deserved the spot of Lord and master, the head of the table, but instead, Jesus takes on the servant role. And because he did this, Paul explains later on in Philippians 2, he says, he said, God exalted him and gave, in Philippians 2, he said, God exalted him and gave him the name above every other name. And when you take the role of the servant, the second place, God exalts you. Here's how, here's how I understand it, okay? Parents, imagine seeing your kid split their lunch with someone less fortunate with them. Like they're sitting there at the lunch table and you kind of see them from afar and they give them half of their sandwich. They give them three out of their five Oreos. Like, what? how do you feel as a parent? You feel frustrated, or like you're just glowing proud? Like, if you're like me, you're like, look, you gave away those three Oreos. I'm gonna give you 30 Oreos when we get back home. Like, this, this is what, and that's such a higher and holier way, this is what God does with us. This is what he does in this life, in eternity. It's like he can't help himself. You can't outgive God. Like, let me, can, I, can I ask you this morning, Like, well, how would your life look different if you always put yourself in second place and trusted God to take care of you? Verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. To hunger and thirst for righteousness, it means to crave fellowship with God above everything else. We're, we're all hungry. Solomon says that God has created us with eternity in our hearts, which means that we have a hole the size of eternity. And maybe we choose to, to fill that, that hole, maybe we choose to fill it with, with money, with relationships, with approval, but we can't. It's in the shape of, of God. I've said this before, I'm not built for the heat. I'm not here for summertime, July is too hot for me and August is even worse. Uh, and recently it's been, it's been hot, it was hot a serve day. Um, but you know, thankfully the Lord has blessed our family uh, with a yard full of trees. So when I'm out back with the family, I can sit under the shade when the boys are running around. Um, but the problem is with the kids is that they don't really like to sit under the shade. They just keep it moving. If you've seen them here on Sunday mornings, they are, they're going, they're running, they can't sit. They need something to do to, to enjoy themselves. Uh, so a few months back, my uncle and my aunt came to town recently. Um, and when they did, they bought the boys a water slide. Uh, and it's like one of those inflatable ones that blows up, you know, it's, it's about as wide as this stage, it's, it's nice. Um, but it's got hoses, and I got to run hoses all the way from the front of the house out to the back, plug it into the water, and it just uses, it uses water, every, like there's water coming out of every single pore in this water slide. It's going all over the, it's going all over the place. Uh, and I learned recently that a bucket uh, that would hold, that would, um, a bucket that would hold all the water that a family of four uses in one day would be the size of a pickup truck bed. Summertime for us with the water slide, I think it's more like a dump truck bed full of water in one day. Um, but imagine with me though, a bucket so big that all the water in the Atlantic Ocean couldn't even cover the surface of the bottom of the bucket. That bucket is our souls. Solomon says that God has put eternity in our hearts, which means that our hearts yearn for something that only eternal love can feel. Money can't do it. It's not that you need more money to be happy. Money's not big enough to fill that hole. If you give yourself to money, you become worried. You become selfish. You become dissatisfied. Romantic love can't do it. You give yourself to that and you become jealous, obsessive, terrified of being single or unhappy in your marriage. Those who hunger for approval will never get enough of it and they become proud. They become petty people obsessed with themselves all the time. But when you give the passions of your heart to God, not only are you satisfied, you become a radiant, life-giving person. Verse seven says, blessed are those who are mer- blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The merciful are those who extend forgiveness or generosity at the same measure that it's been extended to them. We see Jesus explaining this later on in another parable in Matthew 18. Uh, Peter comes up to him, one of the disciples, and he says, he says jesus how many times do i have to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me it's a reasonable question right he says god jesus how many times like this guy he's he's whiling over here how many times do i have to keep forgiving him like seven times he's like yeah that sounds like a good number seven times and jesus says not seven but 70 times seven. And he goes on to explain, he says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to this king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. He had a servant. um, And when he started settling accounts with him, he realized that the servant owed 10,000 talents, which was at the time, just this extraordinary amount of money. So he brings them before him and he can't pay it. And he says, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? Um, He falls down at his face, the servant does. And he says, be patient with me, I'm gonna pay you everything. So the master of that servant, he has compassion and he releases them and he forgave him the loan. Wasn't that incredibly nice? Yes. Yes. It wasn't a trick question. It was incredibly nice what the master did to that servant. But then we see this servant. He goes out, and he finds one of his fellow servants who owned him a 100 denarii, which is basically nothing. And he grabs that other guy, and he starts choking him, and he says, pay what you owe And at this, the fellow servant falls down and begins to beg him and says, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But the servant wasn't willing to listen. And instead he went and he threw him into prison until he could pay what he was owed. And when everybody else saw this, they were distressed. And they go and they report it to the master, everything that had happened. So after this, the master summons the servant back and he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Those who know they have been forgiven, who understand that their own standing before God without Jesus, who understand what that is, show that by forgiving others. You can say it this way, that that whether or not you have really experienced mercy is demonstrated by how much mercy you show to other people. Like what if God only forgave our sins according to the measure that we forgave others? According to the measure that we forgive our our boss, our spouse, maybe our ex-spouse. Like, maybe some of you today might need to leave here and make some phone calls. You need to call that person that you've not forgave. You need to call that person that you're holding a grudge against. Like, we're talking some practical next steps here. Verse 8 says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who keep their hearts free of all the things that grieve God. And what grieves God? God impurity, sin. And there's lots of reasons why we might avoid sin, but the most powerful one is that we want to know God in a deeper sense. And you can't pursue God and tolerate sin. If you have things that you persist in, even though you know they're wrong and you still know God, you've, you've got to get rid of this illusion. Because it, it, the, 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 it, it says the pure in heart, can see God. Blessed are those who are pure at heart, for they shall see God. Sin affects our ability to even perceive God, to hear his voice. Purity leads to clarity. Purity leads to clarity. The, the more your heart is free of idolatry and, and lust and all these other things, the more that you'll see what God sees. The more that you'll value what God values. The more that you'll love what God loves. The pure your heart, the greater your grasp on the will of God one pastor he described it like this to give an example he said you know that boss that you had like that really bad boss that you had when you worked in the office and he loved to just flirt with all the other girls and he's getting ready to hire this office administrator um and he's got two candidates he's got one that's that's just extraordinarily qualified she's got the best resume and then we have this other one and the boss says you know I don't know if she's really qualified but man is she good looking like she is attractive And I'm not as as attracted to this other one, even though she's the better candidate, I'm attracted to this one. See, what's happened to that boss is that impurity had clouded his vision and kept him from seeing in the moment what really had mattered. And I would say the same principle extends into the rest of life. God explained to Samuel in the Old Testament, the prophet, he said that the reason he couldn't see the little shepherd boy, David, was the right man to be king was because he was too impressed with the good looks and the physical strength of all of David's brothers. God said, you look on the outward appearance, but I look on the the heart. So many of you may be wondering why, what does God have for me in this next season? And can I tell you that, that clarity oftentimes is on the other side of pursuing purity. The reason we often can't see what it is that God has or know his will often has to do with how filled our hearts are with sin. And a lot of times we complain about how confusing God is or how hard it is to find his will when the darkness, it's not in God. It's in our own hearts and our own lives. Verse nine says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. A peacemaker is somebody who prioritizes relationship above personal vindication. When you have conflict, you always have two sides and both feel that they're always in the Right? Neither can make peace because he or she feels like their side's, uh, like side's going to lose out and they're going to be wronged, right? And a peacemaker is somebody who says, I value the relationship more than I value being right. So let me try to see it your way. I'll explain to, my, I'll explain to you my view, but I'm going to try even harder to understand yours. I am going to make sure that you understand mine. And where you don't see mine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you. And I'll be patient with you because I value this relationship more than I value being vindicated or being right. Those are peacemakers. They're like Jesus. Jesus was clearly in the rights, and we were clearly in the wrong, but Jesus didn't surrender his position. He valued us, so he prioritized his relationship even over vindication and he went to a cross of shame to win us back. Verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One pastor, he summarizes the remaining two like this. He said, blessed are those who value being right with God above all other things. Because you see, at some point in life, all of us suffer. We all die. And at least we have the satisfaction for knowing that you're suffering for the right reasons. To know that you've pleased God, that you've done your duty, that you've, you've got eternity to look forward to the reward for your labor. Hebrews 12 says, says when Jesus went to the cross, he did so with joy because he valued God's plan, God's design, above everything else. He valued it more than his comfort, more than his happiness, more than his life. And, I, and I'm closing up, the, the, the band can come, but as, as I close, I want to leave you with, with two thoughts. According to Jesus, happiness is not the set of circumstances, but the fruit of a right relationship with God. Most of us think that happiness is found in a set of circumstances. If if, if this happens and this happens, then I'll be happy. Our, our English word happiness comes from the word happening, like in the in the sense of now. You're happy when what you want to happen happens, right? When the thing that I wanted happens, then I am happy. But when what I wanted to happen doesn't happen, I become unhappy. But according to Jesus, happiness isn't rooted in a set of circumstances but it's the result of being rightly related to God. So here's the big question, if life didn't change for you at all from this moment forward, your situation didn't improve, your marital status didn't change, your career didn't progress, your body didn't feel any better, could you be happy in life? Because none of the things that that we think we need to be happy in our lives, if we're honest, happened to Jesus. In many ways, what happened to Jesus was was some of our worst fears. He was single his whole life. He owned no home. He was abandoned by his friends. He was misunderstood. He was falsely accused. And yet, he had joy. He had happiness. The happiness that you're looking for is found in being rightly related to Jesus, secure in Jesus, and living like him. Second thought, according to Jesus, happiness is a response to the gospel. As one of the most important but overlooked details, is 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 where Jesus taught this from. Um in verse one it says that he had gone up to the mountain to give this teaching. And the teaching that he gave is the same mountain, Mount Sinai, where, where, where Moses receives the law. And after teaching, he gave was the law. So 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 throughout the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is at now, he keeps referring back to Moses' law, saying, You have heard it said, but I say to you. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving a new version of it. It's supposed to remind us of another great teacher that had done that, Moses. But, but don't get it twisted. People are looking at these things like it's a list that we work through to earn God's favor and salvation. Like it's a set of things that we must do in order to be best by God. Which is honestly the most common way that people misunderstand the original Ten Commandments. Do these and you shall live. But see, here's the thing with the original Ten Commandments... In Exodus, Moses gives the law after salvation. God had already delivered the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. God had already led them through the Red Sea. God had already destroyed the Egyptians behind them. He'd already provided manna from heaven. He'd already provided water from the rock. The Amalek's had attacked and God had made a way forward still. And then he gives the Ten Commandments. They weren't ways that they should live in order to be saved, but because they had been saved, these are ways you should live. Throughout the commandments, God keeps saying, I am the God who delivered you from Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods. You should not uh, kill, steal, lie, etc." And in the same way, these eight things, these eight Beatitudes are the things that we do because we've been saved you could read them like this because Jesus has saved us we can be poor in spirit because we know the promises that he has to be our sufficiency in all things because Jesus saved us we can enter into each other's pain and mourn because that's what Jesus did for us Because Jesus saved us, we can be meek and we can take second place because that's what Jesus did when he left heaven and came to earth to die for our sins. Because Jesus saved us, we can hunger and thirst for righteousness because the God of righteousness has become our Savior. Because Jesus saved us, we can't help but be merciful to others because that's how he was to us. Because Jesus saved us, we want to be pure in heart so we can know him more. Because Jesus saved us, we can prioritize peace instead of vindication because that's what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus saved us, we can endure persecution because Jesus' resurrection shows us that it's worth it. Our lawgiver was not a taskmaster a taskmaster who simply gave the law and threatened punishments if we disobeyed. Our lawgiver was a savior who only issued the law but who not only issued the law but offered himself as a substitution, as a sacrifice for those who didn't have a way and had already broken it. He didn't just ascend to the mountain here to give the law, he ascended to the cross to die in our place for breaking it. And if you look at these eight things, or if you look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as a checklist, what you accomplish to earn heaven, it's only gonna lead you to despair. You can never do them good enough to earn God's favor, but that's not what they're for. These eight things, they're not rungs on a ladder to climb trying to get to God, they're a grateful response to Jesus coming down that ladder for us to save us, taking our place on the cross. So that leads to two to questions this morning. And as we, as we close, as we pray, it leads us to two questions. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? It's where everything starts. Jesus is our, our substitute. Jesus is our gift that we can receive with empty hands. And the second question is this. Have you embarked on a life of discipleship? Because it's characterized by these eight things. Are you ready for these to form and shape your life? Are you ready for these to take your your next steps and as we take a moment to to reflect maybe for some of you that next step today is saying man i i've not received jesus as my savior i don't understand what that is i don't know how that looks like but i feel like this is something that 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 just seems like i'm ready to do i'm not even sure what that even means if that's you that's okay we're we're glad that you're here and our next steps team is at the back they're ready to receive you. They would love to talk with you more about what that looks like to say, man, I don't understand this even, but I'm here and I'm ready and I'm open. And I want to know more about this Jesus who can, who can flip the way that I see the world upside down and who can come and change my heart and give me happiness. And maybe you know Jesus, but you're saying, man, I, I'm not sure if any of those beatitudes, if any of those blessed or happy statements I can reflect with. I'm not sure how that even looks in my life. Like, maybe it's time to to join a crew. Maybe it's time to to take that next step. Maybe it's time to connect with the church and and continue to work out that as you go. So as we close today, Jesus, thank you so much for for forgiving us, not a law that we have to follow in order to be saved by you, God, but coming to, to save us so that we can love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these people, God. Thank you for your word, for your gospel. Would you bless it? Would you be with us as we go? Would you help us through the week? Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.